Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studios, it's time for Workplace MVP. Workplace MVP is brought to you by R3 Continuum, a global leader in workplace behavioral health and security solutions. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gassman. Hi, everyone. Your host, Jamie Gassman here, and welcome to this episode of Workplace MVP. Diversity and inclusion is an area of focus for many senior leaders and HR executives. A great number of workplaces are re-examining their organization's approach to ensuring diversity and inclusion and looking for how they can improve, build, or implement new initiatives for their work environment. There are a lot of ways employers can take to building their diversity and inclusion program, but to aid in their ability to ensure their program is effective and successful, their efforts need to start at the top where their leaders embodying what is called inclusive leadership. As an inclusive leader, you are aware of your own biases and you are actively seeking out and considering different perspectives to inform your decision-making and collaboration with others. These leaders are committed to ensuring all team members are treated equitably, feel a sense of belonging and value, and have the resources and support they need to achieve their full potential. How does an organization ensure they have inclusive leaders, or how do their leaders learn to be inclusive if not already? Where does this fall within the process of establishing or reinventing an organization's diversity and inclusion program? Well, joining us today to share her expertise and recommendations for workplaces looking to incorporate or reinvent their diversity and inclusion programs is Workplace MVP and President and CEO of Khalifa Consulting, Samaya Khalifa. Welcome to the show, Samaya. Thank you. It's so wonderful to be with you today. Oh, we're really happy to have you. So I'd like to start out with you sharing with me your journey to becoming the President and CEO of Khalifa Consulting. That is an incredible question. It has been a long road and it also has been a very unconventional journey. I earned my BS degree in chemistry of all things and decided that I wanted to do something with people and not in labs. So what I did is I pursued my MBA in human resources, worked in corporate America for many years in the HR field, which I truly loved. Towards the end of that career in corporate America, I was involved in a lot of diversity and inclusion work, as well as organizational effectiveness. And it's really amazing that the two really kind of complement each other. Um, When I went out on my own, I wanted to bring all of my journey, all of my experiences to my clients. And so that's when I founded Khalifa Consulting. And it's been about 12, 13 years now. Wow. So talk to me a little bit about some of the work and the business that you do uh, with Khalifa Consulting and helping your clients. Um, Khalifa Consulting is a boutique firm with a network of consultants covering the world. Uh, We specialize in executive coaching, intercultural and DEI DEI training and consulting. I have a special interest in women in leadership and how to bring religion or faith into the DEI framework. Uh, we cater to large and mid-sized organizations in the, in the intercultural and DEI work. And also we do executive coaching for all sizes of organizations. Great. So this topic we're talking about, very near and dear to your heart. Um, share with me your opinion about workplaces having a diversity inclusion program. Should they? Is it, you know, what's the level of importance in, in making sure that they, they have something built in? Well, uh, you know, diversity is a given. 
uh, because our population right here in the U.S. has been diversifying over the last couple of decades. So it is a given. If we are, as employers, looking for the best talent that there is out there, we will get diverse talent. Now, the real issue is how do we make our workplaces inviting enough for that talent, that top talent to want to join us, but not only join us, but to stay with us. So inclusion needs to be very intentional. What does an employer have uh, to do to attract and retain the talent that's out there? And, you know, um, it's not only about talent, but if we have that talent, we are able to get into new markets uh, because when we go into new markets, we have to understand them. And if we do have representation from them, that gives us uh, an advantage, a competitive advantage to reach people in different markets. And um, diversity is being invited to a party and inclusion is being able to dance at the party. So that's the framework. So diversity is a given, but what do we do with it in organization is the act and that is inclusion. Yeah, it's such a great analogy. I've never heard it referred to that way, but it, it gives some context to how those two play together, basically. So looking at that term inclusive, inclusive leader, I, you know, can you share from your expertise what that means? I know I gave a little brief just, you know, definition of it at the beginning, but can you share from your perspective what that means? Sure. In my opinion, an effective leader by default is an inclusive leader. And if we are to look at some of the characteristics of an inclusive leader, um, they have to have commitment to cultivate a diverse and inclusive workforce. That And that takes really time and energy from them. And they have to believe in the business case for diversity and inclusion. And um, how that is driving or will drive or will impact uh, the mission and vision of their organization. They need to have courage. Uh, they need to have courage and not be afraid to challenge organizational attitudes and practices that yield homogeneity. Um, even if their recommendations are politically or culturally unpopular within their organization, uh, you know, they have to be very careful there. Um, they need to also display humility by acknowledging their own personal limitations and seeking contributions from others to overcome that. Um, some, some leaders, you know, uh, as we all know, uh, find it difficult to admit that they don't have all the answers. So if they are, um, if they do have humility and reach out to others, that makes them uh, better leaders. They need to be able to recognize that they have biases. We all do. This is just human nature. They need to work on identifying what their own biases are and learn ways to prevent them from influencing their talent uh, decisions. They want to also look at their policies, processes, and structures to see if there are organizational biases that are uh, undermining diversity and inclusion in their organization. Uh, they have to be curious. Uh, they have to have an open mind and a passion for learning and a desire for uh, you know, their own exposure to different ideas. Um, and they have to also be culturally intelligent. By that, I mean that they have to be aware of their cultural preferences. When they are on autopilot, how do they, um, how do they act? What do they go to? But they also need to learn about the cultural um, uh, cultures of people that they work with. 
uh, their team, their colleagues, and be able to identify if there are gaps and how can they bridge those gaps to be able to leverage the best from all their team members. Um, an inclusive leader needs to also be collaborative. They have to understand that collaboration is important for the success of their teams. And for them to be collaborative, they have to create a psychologically safe environment in which all individuals feel that they are empowered to express their opinions in the group. So these are just some of the characteristics of an inclusive, and in my opinion, a, uh, an effective leader. Great. And now <clears throat> looking at those bias, biases and thinking about diversity, just real quick, can you share with us when, when we hear the term diversity, I, I, I feel sometimes that can show up differently in, in with different individuals. From your perspective, when you hear the term diversity, what does that include? What does that mean? Sure. It, um, diversity, in my opinion, is everything that makes us different, but also everything that makes us the same. So um, a lot of organizations focus on, on race and on gender. And within the U.S. framework, that's usually what is focused in on, but there are so many different layers of diversity that we need to look into if we are telling people, bring your whole professional self to work. Um, uh, In terms of, for instance, sexual orientation, in terms of religion, uh, and many other different layers of diversity. Uh, People on the outside might look the same, but when we start peeling off the different layers, there are differences amongst them. Mm -hmm. So we need to treat diversity in the broadest sense. And what's really interesting is diversity, uh, we need to look at the history of the nation that we're looking at diversity at. We need to look at the social construct in it and many other things. I was working with a client who um, works for a French company and the French company's diversity and inclusion uh, philosophy is getting more women in and bringing more non-French people into their boards and into their leadership. So that is how they define it in a French company. And a U.S. company that is defined a little bit differently, there's more uh, emphasis on race and on uh, on gender, of course. Interesting. So looking at that inclusive leadership and looking at that work environment, why is it so important that you have inclusive leadership within that work environment? What, what are the consequences if you don't or the impact? Um, the impact there is, is really huge. And some of it is a direct impact and some is an indirect impact. Um, if the workplace is not inclusive, it, where employees don't feel like they belong, uh, if it is a hostile work uh, environment, it's not a friendly work environment, then the implications can be very enormous. Um, anywhere from a turnover rate where people are not uh, don't want to stay with the company or the organization, uh, people could get depressed. Um, the medical cost of the organization that they pick up on uh, productivity uh, goes down. Uh, people call out sick more often. Uh, just a lot of negative um, consequences if we don't have an inclusive environment in our workplaces. 
I don't feel like I belong. If I don't feel like I belong and I could be myself, I don't want to be there. I want to find somewhere else to go. And I think with COVID-19 and if, or if leaders were not intentional in diversity and inclusion, because we went into uh, more online and it was more difficult to provide that culture of inclusivity uh, when we are online. So leaders um, have to be even more intentional and organizations have to be more intentional to bring that uh, inclusiveness culture and um, into the workplace. Yeah. Interesting. I could imagine with, with, you know, the great resignation, if you will, of maybe some of that realization was coming through for some of those employees, Um, Do you think that that had some contribution to it once they moved into this kind of remote work environment, feeling a little bit more isolated than before? I do believe so. I do believe so. They, you know, all our worlds really turned upside down. Uh, We did not think that we could work from home as much as we did. And we adapted to it. Everybody, um, you know, had an opportunity to pivot and they, you know, as, as, uh, as employees, they looked at their priorities and what's important to them um, and decided, you know, is this the right organization for me to stay in or do I look for something else where I'm happier? Because happiness is, is really important for individuals now. Yep, absolutely. And so, you know, looking at, the, at a leader, you know, in a work environment, you know, how do they identify the biases that they have? How do they know they've got them? Like, what are some ways that they can help themselves to maybe identify ones that they might have that they weren't even aware of. So just would like to get some of your thoughts around that. Well, thank you so much for the question. We all have biases and we have unconscious bias, whether, you know, and they're called unconscious because we don't know about them and they could be really detrimental for us. Uh, If we don't know about them, we can't do anything about them. Mm -hmm. So your question of how do we find out there's so many different ways to find out, um, One quick way of doing it is for the individual leader to look at their circle of friends. Do they all look like them? Look at who they're hiring. Do they all look like them? This is similar to me, impact. And, you know, um, so that is looking in the mirror and, and seeing uh, what is what 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 world have I created around me? I was involved with uh, Leadership Atlanta and um, and I went through that many years ago. And one of the things that came out of it is that we were challenged to look at our circle of friends and many people from our class decided that, hey, I golf with all white guys or all black guys or whatever the race and gender happened to be. And they made a conscious decision that I need to diversify my circle of friends, circle of people that I go out with, circle of people that I golf with. Um, And that impacted them. Now, another way to find out about our own cultural biases or unconscious biases, I'm sorry, is to ask a colleague or confidant. Um, You know, that, that would be a very sensitive a conversation, but that there needs to be a very high level of trust there. Uh, there's another way to, and that is uh, there's an online tool that is developed that has been developed by Harvard University, and that's an instrument to identify unconscious bias. And it's free and it's online. 
And if uh, one types implicit Harvard EDU, then they will take that uh, take it to that website. And it's really an amazing one. You know, if you want to look at race or gender or religion or what have you, there are many different instruments there for, for people to identify what unconscious bias there they might be uh, playing. So you, you kind of identified a couple approaches that they can take by looking at, you know, their group of peers or, you know, that they're spending a lot of their extra time with and, and look, you know, reevaluating and identifying ways to, to kind of diversify that. But what are some other ways that they could overcome their bias, um, their unconscious bias, or even biases they know that they have and relearn a thinking, um, you know, that likely has been instilled in them from a really young age. Cause I think some of our biases that we have comes from how we, we grew up or how we, you know, you know, life, life events that we've experienced. And so how can one kind of relearn, if you will, how to look at people differently or how to kind of be more diverse or more inclusive? Yeah, that, that is such a great question. And, you know, we, we pick up our unconscious biases <clears throat> as children at the dinner table. Uh, what is said at the dinner table? So parents and grownups and leaders, we need to be watching what is said at the dinner table because the younger generations are picking up on the biases that we already have, uh, unspoken and unspoken. Uh, so we don't have to say much of anything. And that's picked up. Kids are very, very uh, smart. So in terms of, um, you know, how do we get over that? I know um, that a, um, a client, um, he worked with uh, very diverse background people. And one of the stories that he shared is they were talking about, we don't have, um, you know, we don't, we only have one Jewish person in the group. And to him, he looked and he said, who's that? And that Jewish person was somebody that he became friends with, and he no longer saw him as Jewish. He was just it. Mm -hmm. And so that is how we can work around unconscious biases. First of all, identifying what what unconscious bias we might have, and then be intentional in terms of expanding our experiences so that we have meaningful interactions with people from whatever background that we have the unconscious bias on. And then when we see people as individuals, the stereotypes or the assumptions we have uh, based on the group kind of falls out the way. And that is a a very effective way to overcome our unconscious biases. But it, again, it, it takes awareness, it takes intentionality, and it also takes a strong will of wanting to do it. Great. Oh, great, great advice there. Um, Because I imagine there's people who are like, I don't want to be seen as that person that's not inclusive because they might feel internally that they are, but maybe aren't aware of what they can't see. So very interesting. And, and, you know, uh, more on that, because that is a very important subject to to think about. Again, unconscious, it's not seen, it's not felt. But knowing that the biases show up when we are in an ambiguous situation. Um, such as if we don't know about a person and we meet them and uh, all of a sudden we, you know, we, we go to our stereotypes. So we want to be able to minimize ambiguous situations. We want to learn about all the situations we get into. So we won't be surprised. We won't be able to surprise ourselves in a negative way. 
uh, when snap decisions uh, need to be made right away, um, our hardwired stereotypes pop up. So uh, taking time to make decisions. And usually it's recommended that leaders make decisions early in the day when they have had a good night's sleep and, um, and they're less likely to make mental shortcuts. Um, and, you know, being able to uh, push back against default assumptions. When we, when we put a stereotype in our mind that's hardwired, you know, and, and I'm a short person, I love to give that example. If our stereotype in our mind is that short people are not very smart and we see a short person, then the way the stereotypes works is that they are not very smart. And if, they happen, if that person happens to be smart, then we push back through those stereotypes. Well, well, they're the exception. Uh, they're not really the rule. So we need, again, self-awareness to, 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 to get over that. And then being able to learn, um, learn and um, meet new people, be challenged and um, challenge our stereotypes and, you know, uh, prejudices if, if they have gotten to to that uh, level. Yeah. Ask questions, get to know people. Yeah. Be open to that. That's the kind of the approach that I like to take. Cause I just love to hear people's stories. So, <laughs> which is why this show is so great. Cause I get to hear so many leaders stories and expertise. Absolutely. So real quick, we're going to take a break and listen from our sponsor. So workplace MVP is sponsored by R3 continuum. R3 Continuum is a global leader in empowering leaders to effectively support and help their employees thrive during disruptive times. Through their tailored workplace behavioral health support, disruption response and recovery, and violence mitigation solutions, they can help you create a work environment where your employees can feel psychologically and physically safe. To learn more, visit r3c.com today. So you mentioned in our previous conversation, the importance of creating a culture of belonging within that work environment. Can you help kind of describe for our listeners, what does a culture of belonging look and feel like? Sure. Uh, Belonging is a sense one gets that they are a valued member of an organization. They feel a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging brings meaning into our lives and in all the circles. I mean, you know, let's face it. We spend more time at work than we spend with our family. And if we feel good about ourselves, good about the organizations that we work for, just think about how that's going to impact us individually as employees, as leaders, but also the organization. So there was a survey done in 2019 by an organization called BetterUp, and they found that workplace belonging can lead to a 56% increase in job performance. It can also lead to a 50% reduction in employee turnover. Uh, Workplace uh, belonging can lead to 75% decrease and employee sick days. So those numbers really give us the business case for why having a, a culture of belonging is very important. It adds to the bottom line. Wow. That sounds like, I mean, those are great statistics to show, you know, just by creating that environment that people want to be at and be a part of. Fantastic. So looking at that, you know, you, there was something when we talked before that really resonated with me um, in regards to religion and the symbolism around religion and certain holidays that are celebrated. And 
you know, you and I were kind of discussing, you know, in particular the, the, the Christmas, um, or Hanukkah and, you know, kind of that a lot of leaders have taken the approach of this broad messaging of happy holidays and then removing certain symbolism like Christmas trees. And you, you talked about, uh, about how not all your employees really want you to take that down, even if they don't celebrate it. And so the question I have is, you know, by taking and removing some of those symbolism, does it help to create that culture of belonging? Or, you know, what are some of your thoughts around how they can really handle those holiday seasons, you know, in a, in an appropriate approach that help, you know, allows all employees to feel like they're, they belong and that their, their holidays are being celebrated. Uh, I love that question. I super love that question. Um, I am not in favor of somebody saying happy holidays. First of all, I am a Muslim and most of the time I don't have a holiday around Christmas. And for somebody to say happy holidays, it really doesn't resonate with me. Um, so, and that's not only for Muslims, but you have Buddhists and you have uh, Hindus, etc., who do not have a holiday around the holiday season. I am not in favor of taking down the Christmas tree, but I am in favor of having an inclusive work environment that acknowledges and celebrates the religious holidays and traditions that are represented in the workforce. So if we do have Jewish uh, members, then, you know, Hanukkah, Passover uh, needs to be acknowledged. Uh, Holly, um, Ash Wednesday, Ramadan, and the list goes on. I want to be, I want to feel like I'm validated uh, by just saying happy holiday. I think it's just a brush over and it, it alienates the Christians and it does not bring anybody into the fold, but we want to be intentional again. We want to be knowing who are, uh, who's in our workforce and what matters to them. If we have a calendar, let's put it on there Um, that, you know, Ramadan starts April 2nd, uh, Ash Wednesday's on that date, Hanukkah is on that date. So bring all those holidays, acknowledge people, validate people, and they feel like, hey, my workplace cares about me enough Mm -hmm. to wish me a a Ramadan Mubarak or Happy Hanukkah or, you know, whatever the holiday is. Yeah. Well, even to allow other employees to understand how, you know, each of those faiths uh, practice their, their various holidays and what the symbolism and meanings are behind what they're practicing so that, you know, people can learn. Yes. And and that's the intention behind that. Uh, because if I know, uh, if I, if I am, you know, we, we have something called the iceberg and the iceberg is where we say that uh, what's visible is what, you know, um, people see, but what's below the waterline is what drives the visible uh, mm-hmm. attributes that we see. So if people know that um, my colleague's religion is Muslim and the, you know, when he takes or she takes a longer lunch hour on Friday, it's because they have to go to prayer or they're not eating um, from April 2nd to May 2nd lunch um, and they leave early. And we know it's Ramadan. What is Ramadan like? Uh, what is Hanukkah like? Uh, what is the Passover and high holidays are like? Then we get to know people at a deeper level. And that goes hand in hand with belonging. Uh, I am accepted for who I am. I'm celebrated for who I am. Uh, And I am appreciated for who I am. And I don't have to fit a mold to be able to be, uh, you know, a validated person. Yeah, I love that. 
So <clears throat> looking at that and looking at that validation of a person, because obviously, you know, not feeling like you belong, not feeling validated can start to really impact somebody's mental health and obviously ultimately their productivity. So how does a workplace that's not culturally belonging, in your opinion, what do you see as the impact on that mental health and productivity of its employees? Mm. Um, There's been a lot of research about that. And um, the outcome uh, says it was a 20-year research project. And it said that there's increased depression of the employees, um, substance abuse, and health issues that kind of manifest themselves because of the stress and the pressure that they feel in that particular workplace. Um, And we know we've heard about uh, people being disgruntled. We've heard people um, possibly committing suicide. We've heard people going postal. If if the situation really gets out of hand and there's a mental issue there, uh, employee could go back to the workplace and do horrific things to it. So it does have very negative implications. Um, but we, you know, we're, we're talking about the employee and their mental health, which is really important. But the research also shows that the organizations are suffering as well. So, you know, they're suffering from decreased productivity, uh, lower levels of employee commitment, increased turnover. Um, and that doesn't take into account the higher medical insurance premiums that um, the employer will be pay- paying, um, the, the, the use of the employee assistance programs. So it, it's negative for all concerned, both the employees, leaders, and the organization. Yeah, it's, it, absolutely. You know, it's like when you want to bring your whole self to work because you're passionate about the, the work that the company is doing, but yet you don't feel like your whole self can be at work. You know, you want to, it's like when you're at work, it's like your, your home away from home is kind of how I call it when you're in the office, because you spend so much of your day there. You want to feel like you're welcome, just like you are within your own home. So I could see where that could have a huge impact on those individuals. Absolutely. So looking at cultural differences, you shared previously that there are cultures that are relationship oriented, and then there's cultures like the U.S. that are very task oriented. So within our workplaces becoming more and more diverse, how does this show up? How does a leader strike that balance, you know, between allowing people to really, you know, congregate and socialize, you know, at the water cooler, if you will, when we get, you know, get that opportunity back to those days. Um, to really that task oriented, how how is how do they strike that balance? Yeah, so um, I want to I want to share that I ran into a website um, that is a Ramsey County, Minnesota website, and what struck me is that that website has been translated into languages that I had never heard of before. I mean, um, um, Somali, uh, Hemoob. Uh, Oromo and Kara. All right. Mm-hmm. I had to Google each one of those languages to see where they're spoken. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is this is not a, a hypothetical question. This is a a, a true uh, question that we need to be thinking about. Is we have people uh, represented from all over the world working right here. Um, different cultures have different orientation, as you mentioned that the task-oriented cultures and the relationship-oriented cultures, and they are on a spectrum. So the task-oriented cultures, let's get to work. We have a project to do. 
Let's get down to what's going to be done. When is it going to be done? Who's going to be responsible? Where are the deliverables? And relationships are really a second or third um, um, item that people will think about. Let's just get the job done. Okay. Now, the cultures that are relationship cultures and all those languages that I just, you know, named off, they are uh, relationship cultures, which means that before I start doing work with you, I want to get to know you. I want to get to know about your family. I want to get to know where you went to school. What do you like to eat? Let's go out to lunch together, right? So if we have people who are on the opposite spectrums of um, of that uh, tax or task orientation or relationship, and we want them to work together, we need to be very, again, intentional. That word is very important of understanding who do we have on our teams, um, come up with team norms identify what is, what is a hybrid culture that will work for both the task-oriented people and the relationship-oriented people. The task-oriented people, just an FYI, will look at the relationship people and say, gosh, they waste so much time. Why do they need to do all that small, small talk and drink tea or coffee? Let's just get down to business. The relationship people will look at the task people and say, oh, they're just so rude and abrupt. They don't even say hello and drink coffee with me. So that can be a real issue in terms of breakdown in communication. So as leaders, we need to know who is on our team and how do we create a culture that would be understood and accepted by both. When we look at uh, a lot of, um, of data and research and looking at a homogeneous team versus a multicultural team and looking at uh, when they are at their best and when they are very well managed, the multicultural team way outperforms the homogeneous team. So it is a, a gift to have the diversity, but we have to manage it well to be able to leverage the, um, the results that we want to be able to achieve. Yeah. I, I find that there's so much value in being able to build up some of those relationships. Even as a leader, you get to know people so differently. If you're you're only focused in the day-to-day task, you're not taking that time to get to know the people you're working with. And so when you think of that culture of belonging, it makes me think there's benefit in trying to bring them closer to a balancing act. I mean, what are your thoughts around that and like how it contributes to that culture of belonging? Yeah. Um, one thing that I want to mention here is we are in a business to do business. So let's not mm-hmm. lose sight of that, right? Right. And doing mm-hmm. DEI is a very strong business case to do our business better. So mm-hmm. I don't want us to, you know, just talk about DEI and not forget the bigger picture. Uh, we are doing DEI because of the mm-hmm. bigger picture. And we have to keep that very clear in front of our eyes. We are here to further and achieve the mission and vision of our organizations. And um, I'm a firm believer that DEI will help us achieve that. So, um, you know, let me let me give you an example. And we touched upon that just a little bit earlier. When we include religion in the DEI conversation, all right, uh, we want to be able to leverage the uh, the organizational values and how they are very much aligned with our employee values. And they're probably aligned in their religious belief values. So when we say, you know, bring your religion into work, it does not mean that, hey, 
let's bring everybody together and let's argue about which faith tradition is the right tradition that's going to get us to heaven or what have you. But it mm-hmm. is to understand the uh, what's below the waterline for our employees is to get to know them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's to be able to celebrate them, uh, make them feel like they're validated. So here is the way, you know, as an example with DEI, when we bring faith tradition into work, the parameters that we need to build around it. There shouldn't be discussion about uh, or proselytizing or what have you, but it's about the person, about my teammate, about my leader, about um, everybody matters. And that part of them, which in many situations is a big part of who they are. Yep, absolutely. And there definitely is that you still have a business to run. So I love that you brought that up and, you know, and ensuring that you're focusing on the business needs while also focusing on your employee needs. So how do you know when you've got it right? Like, is there a way for them to measure that? I mean, is it, you know, employee serving? Is it polling? Like, what can a leader do to know they're striking that right balance and that right chord within that that organization? Um, well, yeah, um, employee surveys are definitely uh, something that um, many organizations look at and, and um, you know, and they're done anonymously. So people feel comfortable giving their true, honest opinions about um, the culture of the organization, about, you know, whether the culture has moved the needle to belonging or not. Um, there, uh, There is something called the state interview, uh, like the exit interview, but for people who do stay in the company uh, to get a read on how they're perceiving the company. Um, there are employee, uh, exit interviews, of course, but hopefully we don't get there. But if we do, then we want to understand why people left. Um, and, you know, one of my favorites is a very simple thing. And it's just sitting down and speaking with employees and team members about how things are do are going. Um, we look at performance management is a lot of organizations do at least that it's done once a year, but we do ourselves a disservice when we do that. Uh, managers and leaders need to have frequent check-ins with their employees to see how they're doing. And hopefully they have created a relationship with their employees where they're open enough to share with them how things are going for them. Um, it's, you know, uh, a leader should not wait for a very long time to have that conversation, but the, the, the more frequent the conversations are, the better off it is. So uh, it's not rocket science, it's communication, it's caring. And it's uh, letting the employees know that there is a positive uh, psycholo- psychology within the organization. And they can't speak their mind. Yeah. Awesome. So if a leader is looking to evaluate, build, or reinvent their diversity and inclusion program within their organization, what is your advice for how they should prioritize this initiative and where should they start? Well, um, a couple of thoughts here is they need to be very clear on why they want to do that. They need to understand the business case for it. Um, If an organization is doing DEI just to check the box, they need to rethink that. Um, I believe that when when just checking the box is done, it it has very negative repercussions on on the organization. And um, they can hire uh, an outside consultant to assess the organization in in terms of where they're at with their DEI 
and collaborate. Now, if, if somebody brings in a consultant, it needs to be a collaboration. It's not here, consultant, take this, let me know what I need to do. It needs to be a collaboration. It needs to be a commitment of time and energy and resources. And to understand that DEI is really a journey and not a destination. We don't get there. It's always work in progress. So um, a lot of times people want to say, okay, we, we've arrived. There's no such thing. It's always work in progress. Yeah, great. Uh, well, I know I personally have learned a lot from you and I so appreciate you know you being here on our episode. And but if we have guests that want to hear more from you and you know, or to get a hold of you, what are uh, how can they do that? I am on LinkedIn, Sumaya Khalifa. Uh, our website is Khalifa.consulting. So K-H-A-L-I-F-A dot consulting. Uh, send us a message at info at Khalifa.consulting or call at 678-523-5080. Would love and appreciate hearing from you. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you again so much for being on the show, Samaya. It's been such a great conversation. Truly appreciate you and all the work that you do. Thank you so much. What a pleasure and honor to be with you. And we also want to thank our show sponsor, R3 Continuum, for supporting the Workplace MVP podcast. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you've not already done so, make sure to subscribe so you get our most recent episodes and other resources. You can also follow our show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Workplace MVP. If you are a Workplace MVP or you know someone who is, we want to hear from you. Email us at info at workplace-mvp.com. Thank you all for joining us today and have a great rest of your day.